Welcome to the Pork and Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley Harley-Davidson. Today's guest is currently crowned American Flat Track Champion, James Rispoli. Welcome, mate. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. And um, you're obviously Flat Track Champion in Production Twins. How does it feel? Yeah, it feels really good. You know, like I raced in dirt track about 10 years ago and I've only done like maybe a handful of races in between my uh, start of my road race career until now. So to be able to come back and then only do one season and then win a championship, even though it's the production twins, it's still a huge accomplishment because I didn't win the championship when I left the dirt track. So this is my first flat track championship. So I'm pretty excited um, to be able to do that and to do it on a Harley Davidson. You know, they haven't won really anything in five years. Um, And that's, you know, not disrespectful. Just they've, you know, the new wage of racing the xr is dead and the indian's so good and then harley's been struggling to kind of make their motorcycle work so for us to be able to you know create some hope there and to be able to win and be competitive and then win championship has just actually been pretty huge it's it's been a pretty dry spell considering the um successful history it, it's sort of uh, been a pretty dry spell for harley davidson hasn't it oh yeah and especially because i mean nobody forgets but they dominated for how many years and then there's yeah. been a switch but there's there's like a switch where people are like it's like gone too long and it's only been five years but it's long enough for harley's like dude this is way too long you know and it's the thing that's is not so good is because the series is growing so much that it's like yeah. they want to be competitive so Mm. It's, it's been tough you know indian created a uh a, a motorcycle that's pretty phenomenal and it seems like you know the factory really isn't established above the other guys it's like they are but it's the bikes are just that good that all, anybody on an indian has really got a shot at winning the race and that's what's kind of so mm. makes everything so hard so when you're racing against say the ftr 750 you're pushing to the limit basically hey at all times to to keep up with that motorcycle Would that be correct in saying yeah so in the production class we don't race against indians that's why i think maybe no. it was a little bit you know easier i guess to i don't want to say easier because the class is tough in itself you know it's almost it's yeah. a little disrespectful but the thing is is the indian is definitely has an advantage i mean if you look at the yep. the um super twins class I mean, the top mm. eight in the championship were Indians. So it's pretty safe to say it's the dominant motorcycle right now. In production, yeah. they're pretty equal. Yamaha, Cowie, mm. Harley, um, you know, they're all pretty there. They've all won a race in production, and it's definitely a little bit more of a a race. Um, whereas it, mm. it's just in, in Super Twins, it's all Indians. So that the goal is to hopefully to change that and to be able to develop the Harley a little bit more. Your first day at Harley, like factory Harley, how does it feel? What is it? What's it like? What's the first day when you come back? What's it? Uh, you've been overseas racing prior. What's it feel like coming back to, you know, Vance and Hines, Harley Davidson? So I rode for, so last year I came back mm. and I was under the Black Hills banner under the Vance and Hines like umbrella. So it was a, yeah. it was a kind of a multitude. And then this year I rode for latest Harley Davidson. So it was, yeah. we ended up running Vance and Hines, uh, you know, purchased motorcycles 
and ran yep. under the latest motors, a, a big dealership in Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. So we were separated this year. So I actually didn't ride for Vance and Hines. I rode for a, a, a private team. We were a privateer effort. And we just ended up putting together a kind of a dream team together. Um, and myself, Joe Cop, um, Mike, who's mm. doing all of our electronics, engine stuff, um, and of George Latis, who was previously in road racing, superbike racing in America for the last 10 years. So we kind of put this dream team together and then we kind of went out racing and we were kind of the, I would say you had Vance and Hines super twins. And then you had Latis who was kind of supported, you know, pretty well by Vance and Hines, but we were our own entity. So to be able to Mm. do that, to be honest, it was good because it was, it was, you know, if you want to touch on that, it's kind of, it was kind of like I had a chip on my shoulder a little bit because I didn't get the factory seat. So I was a little bit like yeah. bummed. Uh, but it, in the end, it worked out better that I actually rode for latest and I was able to win a championship in, you know, seven races and be on the podium all the time and all that jazz. It's a, um, from, from an Australian perspective, it's really cool to hear you say that because looking at it from here, like I knew you were part of the latest team. But from our side of it, you look at this, and I just thought you were part of Vance and Hines. Like we're a long way from from where you are, so yeah, that's interesting to find out. Yeah, it's it's because we so for contingency we have to run the identical you know uh, paint and decals and stuff yeah. like that. And Vance and Hines gave us a good amount of support this year. You know, in the beginning of the year, it was a little bit we were doing our own development. And then after like round two or three, they stepped right up and was like, listen, you know, you've got a, a great shot. Keep Harley Davidson at the front of this thing, um, especially after Indy when I won by 12 seconds. And uh, so they instantly kind of put together um, a package for us where we blew up an Indy and they threw an engine in because they were right down the road and things like that. And that was all just a part of, you know, winning a championship for Harley Davidson, you know, because it does everybody well. Yeah. So. But yeah, I could totally see if you just look at my Instagram, it doesn't look like I ride for latest. It looks like I ride for, you know, the factory. The bikes look identical. They're, you know, my leathers are pretty cool and they look pretty good, but they don't look, you know, the official, a little bit more pizzazz, you know, you know, with a little bit of chrome zebra and stuff like that. But um, it's always been a dream of mine to ride for the factory, but we'll we'll have to see if it comes true. (laughs) For sure. Let's take it back to the start. Who is James Raspoli? Yeah, so James Raspoli is kind of a, I don't know. I don't know how we kind of present that. I'm a bit of a wild man, but also have, (laughs) you know, I think I'm a thinker with a bit of a wild side to myself. Um, I love racing motorcycles, anything on two wheels. It could be bicycles, uh, motorcycles, even cars, like anything we can race, I'm down to race. Um, <clears throat> I love having fun. I love business. I love creating content. Um, I love like, uh, you know, one of a big passion of mine when I was in England, when I had this kid, Will Hussey, Quiff, we called him. And we started creating all these little videos and cool and kind of taking the motocross theme into road racing. And I literally took the road, mm. what I did in road racing into dirt track. And they had it before, but not to the extent of what we were able to do this year. And uh, so 
I think there's just a multitude of things. You know, I love business. I love doing deals. I love connecting people, you know, and uh, I just think it's just, you know, a bit of a chameleon, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool to see. Um, and for me, it's the first time I've seen someone go to flat track and put the, my, my job's video production, um, to put the, put the effort into content that you have. Yeah. So it's been tough. You know? It's been real tough. Um, you mm. know, it's like, especially in dirt track, you got four laps, you've got a heat, you've got a main, you know, everything. It's not yep. like road racing. There's three days, there's, you know, 45 minute sessions, you know, you can, you can kind of preempt, Hey, one lap, I need to duff a lap and actually get through this corner for the camera, you know, dirt track. Yep. It's, dude, you got to go out and try to win every session, every yep. heat, every main. So there's no real, and it's yep. like, you don't get the shot. You don't get the shot. And like some of the clay tracks kind of stink for shooting content, but yeah, <clears throat> that was a huge thing for me. You know, motocross has killed it with it. You can get yep. super close. That's the one thing I love about dirt track is you can get super close to it. And, um, like I just posted a clip, uh, today on my LinkedIn of, or recently on my Instagram of the one that's super close with, uh, you know, that you can actually see the tread, you can see the tires, you know, you know, warping and things like that in the slow-mo. Yeah. And I think that's super cool how, you know, the technology's come to where we can see that stuff. And my huge thing was to just try to get behind the scenes as well. You know, these little YouTube videos, even though they're not getting massive views, you know, they're it's really somewhere where we can start to create a, this is what it looks like behind the scenes, you know, and I've got the mm. big reason we did this was to create a doc. So the big, the whole thing is, is I've got a doc and created in two months during this time wow. of the entire season, the highs, the lows. I've got uh, Corey Texter, the big rival, Ryan Varnes. I've got Michael Locke, you know, Briar Bauman, who's a, a super twins champ, Shana Texter, the yeah. most successful you know, singles rider. So I've got all these people helping me create the story, not of just, it's my season and my story, but it's, we want to try to build, you know, dirt track and flat track to just a little bit bigger bubble, you know? It's really cool to see. I, um, I actually listened to you on tank slapping this morning with Corey. Yeah, so, um, that was good. That was like good. It was awesome. It was really cool to listen to. It seems like he's had a good rivalry too. Like, uh, you know, to be able to talk at this time of the season, after this part of the season, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple tasty questions in there. I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> Towards the end. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely the good thing about Corey is even though I think during the middle of the season we didn't speak to each other a lot even though we were respectful at after every race you know and he was yep. doing this and then this and this and i was kind of more along like this and up and then kind of down to a, a, a more flatter i didn't really have any lows and that's kind of how i won mm -hmm. the championships i didn't have any lows i kind of was just flatlined if it was like mm -hmm. you know and he kind of had like two lows you know where he was like pretty far back and he went through you know two or three races where he was kind of in his dumps you know like where he just didn't quite have it and then he would fire straight back and that's what I was so impressed with him about but you know during the middle of the season it was like it was kind of weird because we didn't really have a rivalry because I think we're both 
older and there was no real like like I hate you but it was still like man like dude you're not taking this like you're not taking this away from me and I think he kind of stepped up I stepped up and I'm just stoked we were able to like like you said kind of at the end of it the rivalry was so good and so intense but at the end of it we're like dude that was sick let's do it again next year (laughs) you know what I mean like it was uh I do do 100% and sitting there listening to you guys talk about this morning was pretty cool. Yeah, it was interesting. It was it was a tough season. It was definitely tough. It, when every time I thought I had it, he would strike back, and that was kind of uh, that was interesting. You know, like I said after Williams Grove, I thought he was done. Like I thought I had him over, mm-hmm. and then after uh, I did it at Atlanta again, I thought it was done. And then he'd fire back at Charlotte, and it was like you know I had forty eight points, went down to thirty eight. You know, and I'm like. Phew. Like, and then I was given a little bit of a gift at Charlotte when we had the rain out day two, and then it was kind of game over. But I mean, if you would have done the same thing, it would have been 28 and I still had a huge margin, but still it wouldn't have changed anything if you did the identical season, you know, now where I got fourth behind them. But at the same time, he would have put a, you know, that'd have been the maximum points anybody's taken from me during the entire season in two rounds. Hmm. Wow, that's yeah, that's pretty scary, isn't it? When you look at it like that. So, and everybody was like, you know, you know, fifty points, you have a hand on the championship, and I'm like, yeah, we've got kind of a hand, but I'm like, with the double weekends, if you have, so if we blew up, we got a zero is twenty five. Like now we have twenty five or twenty four or whatever, and then it's like, if we have a mistake, I mean, dude, that thing's chopped. Like we, if we have a double zero and he wins both. I mean, we lose. Oh. We don't have the championship lead anymore, and I mean that's the scary part about the double weekends and having so much points available in dirt track. Where mm. our new rules package, where if you like burn a clutch out in the semi, you don't make the main. It's just that simple. Mm. So it's kind of like yeah, it was testy. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be, and that there's a lot on the line at that point too. You know, that's a huge risk. Yeah, I mean, and it kind of was weird because after Atlanta, you know, I was still winning, and then I didn't win at Charlotte, and then I didn't win the rest of the year. And I was in, I mean, I was fast enough to win, but, you know, definitely day one of Daytona, I had speed to win the race, but I just sat behind, and day two, I got tangled up with Johnny Lewis. So it was like, you know, it's kind of, it didn't, it's, it's kind of, you know, stung a little bit that I couldn't win at the end of the year, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really... It doesn't matter, but wins are wins, but consistency wins championships at the end of the day, doesn't it? Look at Joe, like Mir and MotoGP. Dude hasn't won a race all year. Yeah. Who's going to win it this year? <laughs> Who is going to win it? I don't know, man. Mir, I, the thing is, we go to tracks where you're talking to MotoGP. Yep. Yeah. We go to tracks where tire life is is crucial like you go to valencia where it could be cold so that could help the suzuki um it also helps the yamaha and then you go to a new track uh port i don't know if there's another race in between i think there is there three races left there's there's three left so there's this weekend and then two others so but valencia and portimao finishes it doesn't it this time valencia and portimao so to be honest, I think the Suzuki's got the upper hand at the moment because mm. it's so good late in the it's so good late in the race, you know. And especially Valencia has been known to have, um, you know, tire issues. You know, like they've always because it's always colder, 
you know? So it's always like mm. trying to find good tire temp. So I don't know. I've kind of have my hand a little bit on, on Mir at the moment. You know, I think he's done a very good job of clawing back the championship and he hasn't really let up. If you at Aragon last weekend, he didn't let up even though he was in the in position. And I feel like yep. maybe because he hasn't won yet, he still has like this little bit of drive that, you know, I don't mm. know. I think like he's like, I want to win. So it's not he's not thinking about the championship. He's thinking about, you know, I just want to win a race. And I think that helps him get through the pressure of championship. I th- I agree with that 100%. And what I also like about him is he was like the uh, second fiddle teammate to Rins at the start, right? And then all of a sudden he's really clawed back and it's sort of the tables are turned a bit. It's really cool to see that environment sort of changes, has changed a bit. It's weird because Rins, like, I don't understand. He's like one of the fastest guys on the track, but he just makes these little mistakes. Like leading a race, yep. he crashes or in a podium and he crashes. It's like, it's, I don't understand like I've never rode a MotoGP bike, so I can't really comment on how those mistakes happen. It definitely seems like the tires give you so much, so much feedback that you always have it and then you don't have it. Like these crashes happen, like they go in and it's like they almost, it's like they just go in and crash. Like they don't like, and it's like, where, how did that even happen? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So mm. yeah, it's not like like on a Pirelli you can feel like a tire squishing underneath you. A Dunlop, you know, is so stiff that you don't really feel it squash, but you know you're gonna crash, more or less. Yep. It seems like they don't ever know they're gonna crash. It's like they're just Nope, I don't have it. On gone. And that's and that's the thing, like a lot of these like really vicious like we've had in the modern era of electronics, some of the most vicious crashes this year huge so well bradley smith yeah i'm, I'm, I'm super good oh. friends with him and two yeah. at le mans when he was killing it in the rain and uh i guess it was down to from what i hear is like a blind spot in the electronics you know it's because they just don't have enough data in the wet to be able to understand mm. that that the point from being too you know having so much electronic to having none you know what i mean like i i don't I don't know the exact terminology, but it's like, it's almost like if you watched his, if you watch it, it was like, and he's just like gone. Yeah. And it's just the texture. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just either having too much TC or have not having enough. And they, you know, you just can't blend it enough. Mm. He's, he's one guy I feel extremely sorry for, to be honest, Bradley Smith. He has had, um, he's had a rough trot. Dude, me and him, we've kind of talked a lot, you know, like he's one of the guys who really helped me when I first came to Europe, especially in England. You know, he was um, somebody that I met through when he would come to America to race in Moto2 and things. And when I did my wild card at Indy, he was like down in my pit the whole time, you know, helping me. And uh, when I went to England, he was like a huge supporter and helped me with so much over the years. And we still talk, you know, and just he's a great business guy and things like that. And I do feel for him on the fact that I feel like even when he was like top at tech three, you know, finished fifth Mm. in the world championship, it's like, they never gave him that, you know, like star, you know, and I don't know what it is, but sometimes it's like, we kind of have aligned a little bit like on that, you know, where it's like, what do you have to do to kind of just get to get it? You know what I mean? It's like, they always like, 
but I also love it because he's still there. They mm. thought after Tech 3, he was going to be in and out. Bradley Stiff Smith is still in MotoGP, and nobody thought that was going to be there. And it's kind of like my career. you know. Nobody really thought I was going to be in racing for as long as I am. You know, I'm nearly 30 years old, and I've only raced a motorcycle for a living. So you know, at the end of the day, who's laughing kind of deal, I guess. Like, So I guess that's really his yeah. push to keep racing and whatnot. So um, I just – wish like you know he it just stinks because you can only see the hard part is you only see the the end of every session the list and we all know that it's just like and if you're at the bottom of the barrel you never really get talked about and it's same in racing that's why we've got to be on competitive bikes Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter how big you are valentino rossi at the bottom of the barrel still nobody's you're only you're not really going to talk about them you're just going to talk about how bad they're doing and mm-hmm. it's the sh- it's the it's the hardest thing about being a professional athlete. The racer has to live by the list, don't they? It's all about the list. If you're not at the top of the list, you you know where at that point. Exactly, and it's like you're only the, the famous saying: you're only as good as your last race. You're only as good as your last result, or whatever. And anything racing is, it's like the worst thing. But it's if you look, take a if you take that, it's only as good as your last sale. You know, if you're a sales guy, you know, if you sell houses or whatever, your deal maker. You know, it's it's really just takes that into life. You know, like there's nothing really that you can't. You know, you always have to one up. Like you got to one up if you want to. You know, make it. You got to just continue to to one up yourself. Mm. You can't just hold on. Tell me this: When did you um like I I heard tank slapping. So for people that haven't heard that, you had a pretty long 50s career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then obviously moved through. What happened after that? How, how did that all come ahead? So, yeah, I had a pretty insane 50 career. Um, like, you, like you heard in there, people here uh, haven't heard. Uh, I started off on a JR50. You know, I wasn't a P-Dub guy. I was yep. a JR guy, you know, so I had the little gear shift there. Um, we used to just go to Corey's. <laughs> And I used just to ride around with my brother. He was had an XR80, um, and we used to just kind of cruise around, you know, like goofy helmets and just clothes, like the whole nine. So, and then it's really because my dad was such a like a you know a motorhead. You know, he loved motorcycles. He lived is uh, grew up in Brooklyn, New York. So you can imagine how there's just not that there. And they used to have a few Osas mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So <clears throat> they. My dad's friend, um, Bruce Lescow, my one of my best friends, Brent Lescow, were the same age, and we lived <clears throat> next to each other. So they used to go, and they, <clears throat> my dad's friend was like, hey, you should come to Jolly Roger. That was the first race. And so I went on my JR, went up backwards around the track. Like, I had no idea what I was doing, you know? Like, it was, like, super scary and whatnot. I got dead last. My dad's friend, Bruce, gave me a trophy because I was the only person that didn't get one. And But I loved it. So I just rode up and down my driveway. We had a pretty big driveway in New Hampshire, but it was just up and down every day. And I was one of those kids. I don't know. Like I think I was one of those part of the, the group that, you know, I, I didn't really play video games that much unless it was dark, you know. So I was mm-hmm. trying to be outside as much as possible. I'd get literally get off the, the, the bus and I'd throw my backpack in the yard and then go try to get on my bike. And, you know, there was no, like, I remember, like, I never really asked permission. I would just get on it. And as long as I had a helmet on, I could ride up and down the driveway. 
and I used to just ride up and down mm-hmm. the driveway. And then pretty much I just went, I had a uh, Z50. I looped that thing right out as soon as I got a gear shifter, a real one. You know how you can neutral it and then hold the gear up and let it go? Dude, instantly <laughs> loop that thing out. And then I had a Lem 50, a Polini 50. And I just never was like amazing on them. Um, and then I got a 65 mm. and our Bangor main is a big half mile cushion first ever and i was fast i loved it and i don't know if it was just the speed the sliding or whatnot but i ended up winning i won my first race mm-hmm. and then this my 60 career kind of took off you know i was on a 65 i did really well i won uh great national championships and i was that was kind of like but my forte was like these big half miles i just was super fast at them i was really bad at the short tracks and tts and then we kind of moved up i went to 80s and amateur nationals at that point if you look at the the pro series now in American Flat Track, you look at Shana Texter, Briar, Brad, you know, previously Brad Baker, um, you know, Carver, all the guys that are there, you know, they were I raced against them in Amateur Internationals. Like we had Brandon Robinson, you know, uh Johnny Lewis. Uh I mean, we had such a group of people at Amateur Nationals mm. where it was win your heat, win your semi, go home. And it was like, that was our 85 career. And I remember it was so savage to go to amateur nationals during our time period. Um, And that was really like where everybody got super good. You know, you could see like where people would get good and this and that. And then like, so, and then I was like 250s, 450s, just up the amateur career. And then I did uh, my first year was, uh, I think, basic twins on the Aprilia 550 with Chad Coase as a teammate. Um, And, you know, we were in those stock bikes and that was kind of a weird deal. Uh, And then I did, I I did pro singles where I had, I've run against Brad Baker. Yeah. I got second to him in the championship. That was one of the, that was like 10 years ago. You know, I think it was 11 years ago now, 2009. And then that's when I went to road racing and I kind of merged my way into road racing one month, two championships, then rode for, you know, rode for National Guard, then rode for Michael Jordan. And then when that team collapsed, I then moved to Europe. And then that's when I rode Mm. for Keith Flynn. I don't know if you know the band, The Prodigy, but I rode for, yeah, yeah. So I rode for Keith for two years, probably one of the best two years. And that's how like my whole UK career really was grasped because Keith had so many fans and because he got behind me, for whatever reason, you know, like ever since we met at Le Mans 24 hour, it was like, I don't know. It was weird. We were just like connected really, really good. And he just offered me the seat right there. It was like, come back to my house, yeah. you know, um, in a week, fly back. We'll do like a little one-off deal. He didn't have a race team at the point. And he's like, I want to put my investment into you for whatever reason i was an american you know and he could have picked any i mean it got so much like he got so much stick in the beginning because he didn't support a a british guy because he was a um he was a bit of a track day king wasn't he keith like he did a lot of track days eh? yeah tons tons i mean he had two because he was very very tight with crescent suzuki at the time now that crescent yamaha um or whatever patty yamaha now um Michael Denning, wasn't it? Denning, yep, 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 yep. He had, yep. dude, three Suzukis that were oh, yeah. like, he had one that was like full spec, the whole nine. Like, 
It was retarded. Oh, really? Yeah, it was retarded. Like, the thing <laughs> was like, dude, what are you doing, Keith? But he loved it, man. I've never seen somebody with so much. The cool thing about Keith was, is he, you know, he would show you how much he loved it. Like, his passion for the sport was, was immense. I learned so much, like, about how to be the most humble rock star showman you could ever be by Keith. He was wow. one of the biggest stars I've ever seen. One of the most humble. It didn't matter. We could be at a gas station. We could be anywhere. And if somebody was like, hey, Keith, he would stop. Like, no, he could be in his car at a four-way and somebody would say, hey, and he would get out and sign or whatever, take a picture. Like, he would, it was, he would never stop. Like, he would never, ever like not sign something he would never walk away it was always you know like i remember somebody was needed a sweatshirt and he's like oh you can have mine like he was that guy you know and it's like babe wow. it's like a babe sweatshirt you know what i mean like and he's like it's yours you can have it you know like i remember like i went to his house once and he's like hey you know what i mean like i don't wear any stuff anymore like like babe shoes like all this jackets clothes like he's like take whatever you want like it's no big deal like I'm like, it was crazy, but that was him. It was like, what was his was yours. It just didn't matter. Like there was no, like he was materialistic in the fact that he had stuff, but he was like, it wasn't like his. He was like, you know what I mean? Mm. Literally the first time we met, Jason Pridmore was with me and he just throws Pridmore's Porsche keys. He's like, hey, just follow me. He's driving this little panda, like this little panda <laughs> this yeah. little car and he just threw jp and we're driving his porsche and we're like dude what is going on right now and he's just hauling the mail through these country roads and i'm like jay dude this is insane but he that was just him he was that was keith he was insane tell me this what year were you in the national guard team um national guard race team yeah so i raced for so i raced national guard i won my first championship in 2010 that was on a self-supported deal with sponsorship from national guard then 2011 yeah. i was i rode celtic which it wasn't national guard but half the team was with Corey alexander my teammate um mm -hmm. but we didn't have any branding of national guard and then the next year after i won my second championship i got the the seat for the national guard team so i got the mm. the full seat for the michael jordan national guard team they put a lot of resources in at that time hey i was i went to um laguna seca for the gp mm -hmm. and they had the full setup and yeah it was kind of interesting i was like 2011 and 12 i think it was that we were there 2011 yeah i won that at, at laguna uh yeah at 2011 mm. and then sorry maybe it was 2011 and 2012 that I won my, I don't remember. I won my championship at some point. I don't remember. Anyways, yeah, yeah they did. They had the two trucks. They had, and they had, uh, mm. you know, with the big thing, like, but it's like American style. You know what I mean? So they had the big awnings off them instead yeah. of having the trucks connected. They were, um, you know, big awnings. We had mm. one, there was one specifically just for hospitality, one for um, the race team. So, and it was weird because they had, uh, we actually had three trucks to be honest because there was the two mm. Jordan trucks and then the Celtic truck where the 600 team oh. ran out of and then they had the hospitality and then so we had three trucks then 
pretty that was a pretty strong time in road racing in the states wasn't it yeah the contingency was huge it was weird though because it was the the, the crisis hit and but there mm. was so the actual money was gone so like there was no oh, actual yeah. salaries going around big salaries i mean i remember like we it was like right before i made my road race career like i was starting to getting good um like people were getting paid a hundred thousand, you know, Matt Maladin was still at 7 million or something, 6 million or whatever ridiculous yeah. number with Suzuki. And it's like, we get there and it's like, top guys are making 150,000, like 200,000 max. And like super sport guys like myself were like riding for free with double contingency. And it wasn't the worst thing, but you know, cause I made decent money that year, but it was like, you know, you're riding for free, which was insane. Like, you know, how does that how did that happen how did we get here luckily they you know it was a kind of a tailored hey we'll give you double contingency which is six grand a race we if you win you know and i ended up winning eight races and it was 16 podiums so i did well but at the same time yeah. you have to win and that was kind of like the weird deal and that's kind of how this all the sports are now besides like stickball i mean <clears throat> everything's becoming so performance based where it's like it's kind of good because it's creating the level of you know work and who's wants it and who can do it and this but it also kind of is struggle fest because there's not actual real money anymore you know what i mean like the teams mm -hmm. are like relying on that as well which like some of the teams just need to get their shit together like dude you guys got to find some money too <laughs> Because you look at that um, Ben Spees, he got out at the right time, hey? Like, like perfect. Right on. I don't understand. Yeah. It's like some people just get that gift. And don't get me wrong, Ben Spees is a phenomenal rider. I mean, dude, you know, what he did in World Superbike that year was insane. He was probably one of my idols growing up. You know, I had a poster of him on, on a, uh, you know, on my wall, like, you know, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do this, win America, move up and go. I mean, it didn't, you know, yep. formalize in that, you know, way. Cause Jordan, after I won my second championship, they're like one more year, 600. And then we want you to be our first rider that we groomed all the way to Superbike. And of mm. my career is always kind of, for whatever reason goes, you know, team just seems to end when i'm like then ready to do it you know when i'm ready to move it's like the team collapses <laughs> it's like happened in wow. my entire career but yeah it's such a shame so at that point you went back to the, that's when you went to the uk is that right yeah you, you went, went uh jordan did jordan just finish like did he pull out of motorsport or what happened there they relied so michael jordan himself i think put a lot of money early on and then towards yeah. the end of it it was all national guard so and i think they had national mm. guard maybe pivoted their budget to you know something else you know i know like the army yeah. was is pretty heavily into motocross supercross um and i know so these guys get for the way it works is they pretty much they get these contracts and then it gets to it goes into say an agency and the agency find, figures out how this is what we want to do to disperse. It's actually quite critical, like how they do it. It's kind of weird because right. there's like four guys that goes through. It's like, it gets in, it goes to an agency, the agency then has a guy and then this guy goes to here. And then there's a guy that needs to talk to the agency. It's like a big, it's kind of a big mess. 
But yeah, so they kind of pivoted out. And then Jordan was like, you could see like, you could kind of see that it was going to come to an end a little bit because, you know, I remember in the beginning, you know, MJ was always at the races and towards the end, you kind of didn't, wasn't around at all the races. So you could kind of see like maybe the, the love for it kind of was gone. Um, Mm. even though they probably had one of their most successful seasons, but the sport was kind of in dire need as well. You know, like there was cuts coming everywhere. Like there was Yamaha Suzuki, like just cuts everywhere. And you can see it now. I mean, Yoshimura's out, you know, M4 is the guys now. Yep. Factory Yamaha's gone. It's now attack. It's kind of like mm. the writing's on the wall where there needs to be they gotta go towards a BSB model. That's um a pretty open compared, isn't it? Compared to Moto America. Would I be correct in saying that? Certain things. So BSB does a phenomenal job. Of having specced out, so they have specced electronics, so everything's MoTeC. Excuse me. Um, yep. Everything's MoTeC across the board. You're not allowed TC, and you're not allowed anti wheelie. You are allowed mm. engine brake control EBC. You're allowed to run um, ignition, um, like ignition cuts, those kinds of things. You're allowed to run. Uh, I, w- I think you're allowed to run one wheel speed center. You're not allowed to run front, so you can't create traction control. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know the exact rules, but the biggest thing is the the spec ECU is huge, right? Everybody's on a spec ECU. Yeah. So what you are allowed though are swing arms. You're allowed factory forks like the the Olin's, you know, badass forks. You're allowed, you know, Brembo brakes. So you're allowed kind of a super bike ish. The biggest holdup is the electronics. But that's the thing that's kind of created this crazy race um, series is, mm. you know, there's no TC, but they've gotten away with it. Like the swing arms, the way they're building engines and the way they are, they're like they're going faster than what they would be on a TC at the moment. I mean, mm. TC hasn't had development at those tracks, but they, they're faster on these bikes, which they're 230 horsepower, 235 horsepower super bikes with no TC. And they're like they don't have that many high sides. Like it's pretty insane. You know what I mean? The tires have been consistent. They're getting better, but they've been consistent being Pirelli, you know, and it's just really engine swing arms. Like they've made the bikes work. So in America, Mm. I think they're still allowed uh, a form of Morelli. They're allowed full TC. So like when Gerloff or Bowie got off that and got onto the pad of Yamaha, it wasn't much different because they're both built by, by Yamaha. You know what I mean? Like, from what I understand the rules, you know, obviously they're two different bikes, but it's a lot easier mm. to go from an American factory Yamaha superbike to a world's Yamaha superbike than it is to go from a uh, uh, McCam's Yamaha BSB bike. You go from that bike to the world's yeah. bike, and it's a way bigger difference because, and everybody says it's the, it's the, it's electronics. You know, you gotta, you gotta go from trusting that you can just hammer it and the electronics are going to hold you. And then coming from the other way, you got to go, Ooh, I can't do that. <laughs> so it's a bull, it's a it's trust both ways. So I think American Superbike needs to dumb it way down. I think they need to get the cost. Like they're astronomical. They need to get the cost mm. down in a way where the BMW can compete 
you know, the one thing that BSB does so good is they got Cowie, BMW, Yamaha, Suzuki, Ducati, like every, everybody can win. They've all, you know what I mean? Everybody's in the top 10. Mm. Whereas in America, you got Yamaha and Yamaha, Yamaha. And then you have Suzuki every yeah. once in a while where you know, M4's done a decent job, you know, but it's like the Yamaha yeah. show. Um, and it's, you got to be able to get the Honda in there and a BMW, like the bikes are good enough, but like, there's just not enough money to develop that. Mm. And to see Suzuki there, it's the only place in the world where Suzuki's competing. Like, like to win a race, you know, that's, that's huge. Yoshimura has been Yoshimura America. You know, that whole program mm. was, I think one of the best superbike programs, you know, to run yeah. ever. I really believe they did a phenomenal job, um, you know, from the Matt Maladin era to, uh, you know, Ben Spees, you know, to the Haydens. Like, I mean, there was, they had a phenomenal Blake Young. I mean, they had a phenomenal run for a long time mm. and their team was so good. Um, and I think that's what carried them through you know, till now was they had, I, I mean, mm. they had data because they had Morelli all the way up until now. I mean, they had data from back, you know, for whenever, like, you know, 2000, wow. you know, 2005, like they could pull data. And it was like, I mean, yep. the bikes are changed so much, but it's insane to have that much data to understand the motorcycle that much. You know what I mean? Like, and the work, the fact that Yoshimir works hand in hand with Suzuki on performance parts. I mean, that's just the match made in heaven, you know? Perfect relationship, isn't it? And I think they just moved into World Endurance with, I just saw a release with CERT. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so they just had a, they just did a huge deal. I saw Yoshimira America uh, tagged in it, but I think it's just Yoshimira Japan are putting a big effort into World Endurance now. And this is pretty cool to chat to you because you're, um, you're a fan. You're across it all. Like, you're not... Uh, yeah, like I, I can talk to you about this one and you probably know about Australian Superbikes too. You've, you're very well across it, which is cool. Well, me and uh, Josh Waters, good friends, great friends. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, so when he was over here racing BSB, him and James Ellison mm. were like two of my best friends, you know, over here. So, you know, James Ellison was best friends with the Waters and, you know, their families yep. were like always together. And I was, you know, really good friends with James and James kind of took me under his wing. So me and Josh just always got on, but mm. Josh Waters was a phenomenal rider. Um, Shane, yep. he's still not in BSB, but, uh, he was one of the best rain riders I've ever seen, like ever crazy. He's one of our, he's one of our best for Australia. He's one of our best ever. He's was phenomenal i mean i saw him because mm. i came late i didn't see him on the milwaukee and james said that when he was his teammate he used to show up and just smash him into the ground and i think just the crashes ended up getting to josh you know what i mean like because mm. bsb is so brutal and so cutthroat like you start crashing and you just like people just i don't know the english i love them because i have so many friends but dude they are yep. savage like, I don't know if it's like that in Australia, but they do not give a shit <laughs> yep. about your feelings. And there's no, yep. like, they don't hold your hand. They just tell you how bad you suck. And it's, it's yep. hard. Like I went through a couple yeah. real, real, real struggle years in BSB, just trying to just be like, dude, like, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Cause poor, like Josh had a big one at, 
it was either Chuck Waller or Willow Springs. I think that was one of the things that it really hurt him bad as well over in the US. And um, he had a really big accident there. It might have been Willow Springs, I'm pretty, pretty sure. sure. That would but make uh, sense. Yeah, Willow Springs is fast. Yeah? Real fast. So what was it like going to the UK to race after racing in the US for, you know, between flat track and a couple of seasons of super stock or 600? What was it like? Scary. <laughs> like I went over two bags. I yeah. was like kind of just a kid in the in a candy store. You know, I was like super nervous because I didn't know anything about Europe. Yeah. And it's like coming from America, and I think maybe Australia, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if it's all like that in Australia, but you just get this like false you know, you know, cause like in America, there's States, there's not countries. So you don't really get really the mm. same vibe, but like when you go to Europe, it's like, everything's different. It's like everything. You just like, it's like the reverse card and freaking Uno. Like, uh, what <laughs> just happened? Like, you know, just the way they do things, the way travel is, the way everything's close the way, I mean, it was just like, it was crazy. Um, just everything and the racing was so cutthroat bsb mm. is so savage and like <laughs> it's helped me win this championship this year it's one of the biggest things i you know attest to my championship this year is bsb is so savage and the fact that when you roll out it doesn't matter if it's 30 degrees 100 degrees raining snowing sleeting hailing we're going half second off the lap record lap three like that's what we're doing wow. it just doesn't matter and there's, they're like, they're just hard people, you know, like whatever, I don't know why, but BSB in itself, like I raced one year in Superstock and BSB and Michael Rudder, I like, I raced him every weekend and I'm like, dude, how the hell are you this fast still? Like, you're like 50 something mm -hmm. years old, like get out of the class. The dude's <laughs> savage. Like he's, he's still so good. Like, And we had like some of the most epic battles and I like hated him for it, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, you got to respect a guy that is just that good still and still can mm. do it. It's like, what? Like how? And like, you know what I mean? They're, like I'm training my ass off every single day. And this dude is like, yep. you know, not, I don't know what he's doing, but he's not training at the level I am to, to go and beat him. So yep. I'm like, you know, it, it's just crazy. It's weird. The tracks are super difficult. The the mm. you know like i always say this is the number one i think this i say is if you're not moving forward in the race you're getting past or you're going backwards like i know that sounds just like yeah that's stupid what you just said but it's like if you are not holding a lap time or going faster there is somebody behind yeah. you who is going faster like you you have to a minimum is just maintain your speed and you're still looking to get past like they're just wow. always moving forward. And if you're not good towards the end of the race, like if you don't have that covered, you could have, I've seen leads of 10 seconds get clawed back. Like people are just really good over there. Um, and things happen. Mm -hmm. It's more like a motocross race, like Olton Park, Cadwell. The mm -hmm. tracks are so crazy and unique that you make a mistake and it's like a second. It's, you know, it's worth, you know, like you come down into the second chicane at Olton Park, and if you run wide, I mean, and you don't get it gathered up, I mean, that whole right, left, right, up the hill, Clay Hill, that could be at, an, at one point, one point two seconds gone instantly. 
you know? Uh-huh. So everything's so crazy. It's weird, but it's, uh, it's phenomenal. It's, I loved it. I, and I would, I wish I could get every single American person to just go to Europe, just to like live there for two, three, six months, just to like grasp how good we have it in America. I don't know about Australia, but we've got a really, really good in America. I think a lot of people just kind of get a little too comfortable with how good things are. I can understand that. We're, we're the same here. We've got an awesome country and um, I've traveled to America a lot of times and I feel the same when I get there. It's an it's a awesome place as well. Like we're pretty pretty lucky in the two places we live really. Yeah. I mean, Australia is one of the places that I would love to go. I mean, I'm, I befriended uh, Max Whale this year. We're like really mm. good friends. I love him. Um, and I respect what he's doing. Like he's doing what I did in Europe. He's doing it in America, but he's doing it at 19 and he's doing it out of a freaking yeah. RV, you know, like a little shitty RV. And, you know, he's he's yeah. doing it on a Cowie, which is the worst bike possible. And he's got second in the championship <laughs> this year. Dude, I have so much respect for the kid and what they're doing, the Kundu kid. I love it. And he's uh, he's told me, like, hey, dude, if you want to come to Australia, you can come hang out, whatever. And so, like, that's, like, my next goal is to try to get to Australia. He's um, be cool to have you here for one thing. He's a he's a promising talent for Australia in flat track, isn't he? Oh, I mean, seriously, for one, to do it without having a team like around you, like he's working on his own bikes. You know, yep. his dad couldn't even come over this year because of COVID, and he was in a, in Australia. So like he had yep. uh, you know Briar's uh, Briar Brownman's dad helping him, and um, yep. another uh, kid helping him as well. And we were like. Dude, I just have tons of support. And I think what really helped him was just having friends. Like the same thing that helped me when I was in Europe was as soon as Danny Buckin would be, you know, was became my friend and like got me into the all the places because he was such a social butterfly, I started doing well. I got my first podium and I was doing this, that, and the other. Same wow. thing with Max. I think as soon as he started gaining the friends, he gained the confidence and you're just laughing, joking. I mean, he just started opening up, you know, Volusia, race one, checks out, gone smokes everybody on a Kawi, like on a kawasaki i rode a kawasaki i hated it i thought it was the worst motorcycle i've ever ridden in dirt track he's making it work and uh so i just think that is super cool he lived over here the entire year with you know no family out of an rv you know and just kind of like moving and grooving and he never once like looked at what he had and gone like i don't know i think that's the australian way because like he like really embraced you know he called his RV Pablo. <laughs> it was his RV. <laughs> it was falling apart. He was leaking. He like it was awesome. But like he's super. He like embraced the entire thing. And uh, I'm so stoked that he got second in the championship. And I think he's going to get a really good ride this year. I really believe it. Mm. What happens with the rides over there? Like you're. I heard you talking on the other show. Like when does the rides get announced for next year? And is there is there a pattern for that? For, like say for Max. Like would it. Are they talking now? Is it or does it wait till twenty twenty one to start? Uh, no, so everybody's been talking since the, the like the banquet. You know, like even before then. Like, yeah, people even before. You know, like you got like a B Robin. You got certain teams that kind of know that they're. Uh, you kind of know that they're going to you know kind of keep their same riders. You know, and then everybody else is like on the bandwagon, like who's doing what and you know, all that. So like Max, I know has been talking to a few people here and there. He's got a lot of interest, you know, of course, especially being singles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously I've been advocating for him as well for myself. You know, I kind of have like really 
like a, only one or two paths to go up. You know, Harley is the biggest one for me, you know, where I stay with the Harley family. I move with, with latest and we move up, you know, or there's a seat at the factory team, you know, X, Y, and Z. So, um, you know, it just kind of depends on kind of the situation, but, uh, I think things will start to get kind of announced soon because I think not Mm. a, a bunch of people are moving around, you know, there's only so many seats. And I think a lot of them are kind of like, the thing about dirt track is this doesn't take, a massive team to you know to move things mm. you know what i mean like in road racing like there's just these big teams you know in dirt track there's all these little pop-up teams and then you've got like factory indian factory harley a latest um you know you've got jared mises himself and then you've got like you know the 450 teams that have kind of a big entity then you've got like roof systems who has brandon robinson um you know and then estison so though you know the the, the roof systems Brandon Robinson deal looks to be pretty like he's probably would, would likely to stay there. He did a phenomenal job unless, you know, something opens up at a factory. I don't see him moving. Same with like Essison. You don't see that team changing, you know, same with mm-hmm. Jared, um, you know, factory Harley. You don't really see it changing. Um, you don't see factory Indian changing that much. Like all those, you don't really see changing. So maybe one or two riders. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll go fairly quick this year. Um, I think next year is going to be the big scary one. So I think, uh, mm. if Harley doesn't, if we don't make a big push on Harley, I think they're going to, they're going to be like, what do we got to do? kind of deal. Um, yeah. and I think Indian, if they keep dominating is gonna, not going to be super well, you know, like you can't have, we don't want anybody dominating cause that just makes it bad. No, it's no longer racing at that point. Is it? If you get a dominant, it's not racing, you know, you need to have, you need to have more people in it. Yeah, I agree. Tell me this: What do you do to your XG750 compared to, say, something that comes out? What What do you like when you go to testing? How much can you do? What do you do? Things like that. Yeah, we can do quite a bit. I mean, there's a there's you know obviously the the suspension is probably the biggest thing. We can do different things with the chassis, yep. you know, handlebars, you know, all a little bit of that. I mean, a lot of the work we do is, to be honest, is just is mainly wheelbase gearing and electronics and our electronics aren't super sophisticated, like coming from Motec and stuff like that. They're not super sophisticated. Um, so for myself, it's just mainly how do we get all the power to the ground and then give me as much power as possible. If we have grip, we, we put in the power. If we don't, we obviously try to take it away and build maps. So that's one of my specialties that I think has helped me this year with this new age of dirt track is the electronics part. Um, but frankly, my XG hasn't been too crazy and we haven't done that much development, you know, like we haven't put new swing arms. We haven't done new chassis. We haven't done, you know, certain things. So, um, I think that we need to continue to work there. Um, and th- that'll be the kind of the, the next step is we kind of know what we have in the, the basis and we kind of need to explore a couple more options, but not get too far away. Yep. Makes sense. It's a, uh, it's a beautiful bike. Yeah, Vance and Hines built a phenomenal bike. They did, they yeah. did. It's actually really put together I mean, really well. Yeah, no. From 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 sitting over here, it looks it looks awesome. We've just started our uh, raid rate our racing series here for flat track. Like we've done flat track forever. We've just started racing Harleys, so it's called Harley Hooligans in Australia. 
Mm. So the shop that I work, I do my work for my video stuff is Gasly Nally Harley Davidson. We just built a XG750 and we bought a, built a 1200 Sportster as well. So we're getting into it more here in the American sort of style of way too. So it's pretty cool to sort of see we're keeping track of what it's doing and how it's doing and it's really cool to see. That's awesome. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool. I think it, Max showed me a couple crazy things where they have the, they run like motocross stuff, s- suspension, and like <laughs> like on some half yeah. miles. I think it's wild. I saw him wad like high side so big on a half mile with like his bikes. <laughs> There's some yeah some push machinery here. Like there really is, and that's Australia. Like <clears throat> you know we've got some awesome machinery. But some of the things as well as um, some hacks. It's so funny, man. I love it. I, I'm so bummed that they don't do the Troy Bayless Classic anymore. Yeah, I reckon you definitely would have been a call up. Like we had, um, we had Jared here. We had Semi Halbert. Um, we had Jake here. We had Brad Baker, Henry Wiles. We had a good turnout. So, I would have loved um, to. The track cool. looks so sick. Yeah, it really was. So it was. Um, yeah, it was cool. There's a couple of other big events, and we're really putting more time into it. So who knows what happens in the future, too? Well, if there is, I'd love to come over. I'd love to race. I'd love to. I would love to come to Australia and be a part of that, even if it's just like whatever we put together, some sort of, I don't know, like either event where it's just like maybe not races, but it's just like a two day event where we, you know, Max is there. You know, maybe Jack when he's in the off season because I know he does some dirt track you know, me and Jack are pretty mm. decent friends. Like it would be awesome just to go kind of have like a bit of a burn, you know, a bit of a session over there for a couple of days and, you know, have a good time. Well, mate, hopefully um, once the world stops being crazy, we can, um, this sort of stuff might happen. Hey? I know, man, it stinks, man. Everybody like locking down again, but at the end of the day, mm. we can't do anything about it. We just got to keep trying to build race bikes and keep <laughs> trying for to sure. race. Yeah. Man, I've kept you for 58 minutes, but I've got a really cool one. Bonneville. Tell me about Bonneville. I've been there as a spectator and I've been to the place. What was it like to do? Yeah, it's crazy. It's like the, it's so big and like it's so yeah. long. Like I rode it on a 650 Kawasaki. Um, we ended up getting the race. Mm-hmm. It was a wild bike looking and uh, it was just so slow. Like, like it just. <laughs> It was really slow, yeah. like 165 mile an hour. Felt like you're like going on the highway at 60. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, mm. Yeah, it was just kind of a weird deal. Like it's so open. Like you do 100 mile an hour out there on rental cars, and it's like still takes 10 minutes to get across Salt Flats. Like it's so weird. Wow. It's kind of just mind blowing, really. And then, um, like the salt is weird as well like it's all crusty and it's like it's almost like like the desert but with salt it's like it's just it's super weird and super unique like it's crazy because you look and you see all the mirages and whatnot and they have the place called floating mountain which is like a it's a huge mountain but it looks like this big and it's just floating because you can't see the end it's just you know you have no idea how far away it is you know it's like yeah that's like five miles or it's 200 miles like you know what i mean like you just have zero grasp of how far away it is it's a um like a, a going there it blew me away just just looking at the place was like wow this is something like i've never ever seen yeah, a thousand percent a thousand percent um 
dude, I'm I got like three percent battery. All right, let's let's end it there, um, mate. Thank you so much for just being like. Soon as we touch base, like probably mid season, you've just been so upfront. Let's do this, and you've been really cool about it. And um, yeah, it, sh- it shows through your videos, and it obviously shows through chatting and listen to you on the tank and uh, the the other one that I listened to today. So thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate you know everything you're doing, dude. I thanks thanks for reaching out and doing it like i love these i love coming on talking and, and vibing i know it's taken a little bit of time um to kind of get things locked in a little bit but i think it's just a time change but i'm stoked to be on here i'm stoked that flat track is growing in australia i'd love to come and listen you know if we continue and we get a you know a good ride whatever and we want to do a follow-up to be my guest reach out anytime like and i hope all your fans and whatnot continue to watch american flat track and hopefully we can see you guys in australia soon Thanks, man. You take care of yourself and uh, we'll catch up soon, eh? All right. Awesome.